I'm hearing a lot about normal these days. By that I mean, I can't wait till things go back to normal. Or, this is my new normal. And some of it is talking about what are the routines that we are either missing or that we're now engaging in. But more so, I think we're talking about what we value and what we're missing, what we may have taken for granted. It's revealing that we value relationships, that we value community, we value a lot of the activities and appreciate them that we're no longer able to partake in right now with a stay-at-home order. And I think that's really good because it allows us the opportunity to know what we value so that when we have the opportunity to re-engage, we do so and we, we value it and we embrace it fully and appreciate it. But I also think that sometimes when we have the opportunity to break from normal, we also see some of the brokenness in our world that a lot of us are seeing on the news and in our lives and in the lives of people we care about that so many people live on the edge of financial ruin. That the loss of employment, that the downturn in the economy is wrecking havoc and that it is causing a lot of anxiety and fear. And it's revealing some of that brokenness in our society overall. And that also we're seeing some of the brokenness in our own lives. Maybe conflict that we've avoided is now unavoidable because we're shut into a house with each other. Or even relationships that were really tense before have just skyrocketed. And so I think in light of what's going on, that sometimes crisis gives us a chance to really evaluate and understand what is good and what is really a problem that's going on. And the COVID-19 pandemic is revealing a lot. I think it's revealing a lot about our world. It's revealing some things about our churches. It's revealing a lot about ourselves. Some things that we're really appreciating and we never knew about ourselves and then other things that we see that we really don't like. It's a chance to look in the mirror and to examine ourselves to maybe say this is an area I really want to change an area that I want to invite God into to to create healing to create new patterns um, to reprioritize what I value and as I've been thinking about this I've been thinking particularly about scripture from the book of Revelation and some of you may be saying well yeah it feels like the apocalypse um, which is really the, the name of the book in the Greek, but we call it the Revelation because that's really how that is translated best, that it reveals something. And you know, we may feel like, you know, it's a little end timey, that things look really dark and gloomy. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I really don't focus on looking for the end times because I've, you know, know from scripture that we will not know the date nor the time and that this is God's timeline, not mine. So I, I believe when we hyper-focus on the end times and looking for signs and, and things, we're really we're intrigued by conspiracy and mystery. But in doing so, we distract ourselves. Um, and in that distraction, ignore things we can really take action on. And we become somewhat disillusioned um, because you know we look for signs and they either show up but they don't pan out or we just don't see what we expected. 
And so I think it's more important for us to really focus on, especially when we read a book like Revelation, to focus on what its message really is conveying to us. And that it was originally written as a letter to seven churches that would have circulated. And these seven churches were located in what was called Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And yes, this was written to be prophetic, um, but it was really a warning or sometimes a comfort when you talk about prophetic literature to the intended audience, which was 2000 years ago. It's not a secret code for us today. It's not a mystery to unravel. Yes, it uses some really powerful, imaginative, symbolic images from the Old Testament that were really intended by the author John to have people to go look back into. Um, and those images were really communicating a vision that John had that addresses the situation that those seven churches were experiencing. And ultimately, the whole of Revelation is a call to faithfulness which is a call to all of us as followers of Christ. And so I think it is a very timely message for us. And I wanna focus in particular on one of the letters that was to a community called Laodicea. This was a city um, that was very wealthy and we read about it in Revelation chapter three, verses 14 to 22. That their, their wealth was a point of pride for them, even to the point that they could refuse help. There was a huge crisis going on in their region, that an earthquake had wrecked havoc on so many communities. And Laodicea was in a position that they didn't need help, and they refused any help. And as a community, they were very wealthy. They were the center of a lot of banking. They were at the point of a trade route, so they had a lot of commerce going through them. They were known for their medical school even, that a lot of doctors were trained there, particularly with addressing eye issues, and that they were known for their wool. Um, particularly, they raised um, sheep that had a very fine black wool and people sought it out and they paid a lot of money for it. And so this community really took a lot of pride in who they were and what they had. Um, and the church base there emulated that. But Laodicea was also known for having horrible water. And it's probably one of the most popular uh, pieces of scripture from Revelation, that you are lukewarm and I spit you out. And this is Jesus speaking. You think about like, your water is so bad, Jesus spits you out. Um, and it's really talking about, you know, the fact that their water sources, which becomes this interesting metaphor for them as a, a faith community, is that they had two water sources and that came in from different places. The city didn't have their own water source that was reliable. And so one came from a very cold spring that was refreshing, but by the time it hit the city, it was lukewarm. Not very refreshing, not very enjoyable to drink, not very useful. And another water source came from a very hot thermal spring. And by the time it reached the city, it had cooled down and it was very chemically tasting. You wouldn't want to drink it anyway because you would get sick. Again, not useful. And this becomes the critique of this community, of the faith community in particular, that they think they're so wealthy. They think they're so well off. They think that they are all that in a bag of chips but in reality they are lukewarm because their faith is so meager that they are so apathetic about their faith that 
they don't even appear to have a relationship with God, that it's so lacking. And so this is a criticism. This is a letter meant to warn and call them to change. And often when we read scripture, we are taking in information. But if we're intentional, we also allow scripture to read us, meaning we allow it to examine us, to maybe say, where do I kind of reflect some of this? And I think in the midst of crisis, we start to see um, some of our flaws, some of areas that aren't as pretty or even as Christ-like as we think they, they are. And, and I've seen this, and I've seen this in myself, and I've seen this in just watching the news, and, and not always when I watch news or am I seeing Christians in action, but I hear enough of it that it causes me concern to say, what is my response as a Christ follower? Because I think my response needs to be different. You know, am I upset because I'm really going without? Or am I upset because I find that there's a lack of selection? You know, that when I go to the grocery store, not the brand I want is available. And you know, that's a good question to ask in this season is, you know, what is really causing me distress in this? Is it because I have these consumerist expectations or because I'm really being forced to go without? And many people are in this situation where they are going without. And I don't want to diminish or demean that. But I think there's also a point of asking the question, are we, are we upset because we are suffering? You know, are we at a loss? Are we struggling? And do we need to grieve a loss? You know, loss of experience, a loss of opportunity, just losses of relationship. And I think those are important things to do and to grieve. Um, that, that is critical to our well-being. But are we upset more because we expect God to spare us from hardship? Do we expect that as Christians we shouldn't be vulnerable like everyone else? When in fact, we are called to stand in solidarity with all humanity. That our faith doesn't privilege us to be immune to suffering, but in fact allows us to feel the peace and the comfort of God within suffering that comes to us all. And that's very humbling and that's hard for us, I think. But I think the more important question for us in this time is what will be our witness? What will be the stories we tell our children about the COVID-19 pandemic and our response? What will be the stories that are told about us as Christ followers? What will be the stories told about the people of God in response to COVID-19? That we acted like everyone else? Or that we acted differently? That we distinguished ourselves in this crisis through love? That we watched out for each other? that we shared our resources, that we helped our neighbors, that we put aside what we consider convenient or comfortable in order to care for another. And when we can answer those questions positively, I think we are following Jesus a whole lot closer. And I wanna point out that in this scripture, that Jesus prescribes an anecdote for this community and their issues. And his prescriptions, you know, deal with eye ointment, you know, cure your blindness, start to see what's going on, see where you are in order to change. 
change your clothes, meaning going from you know this fine wool that you value back into the white of your baptismal covenant. Renew yourself with me. Hear me knocking at the door of your church. These are some of the promises that Jesus describes to this community. And, and I want us to hear how loving they are, that he is knocking on the door of their church. And we often think about this as, oh, he's knocking on the door of the heart of, of someone who doesn't know him. No, 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 no. He's knocking on the door of a church which should be full of Christians who should know who he is and should have the door open for him anyway. You know, this is, this is the point that their relationship with him is so meager that they don't even know him, that he has to knock to ask for entry. And he's asking to be allowed back in. Allow me to lead you. Allow me to come and sit down and dine with you, which was a powerful metaphor meaning relationship with me again. And I think it's a powerful metaphor for us these days as we think about you know, that loss of, of opportunity to dine with dear friends and family, that intimacy that comes. And so my question to us is how will we keep that rich relationship with Jesus alive in this season? Or how will we renew it if it has become so meager? And I think part of that is focusing on what is needed, not what is normal. To love without boundaries, even in the midst of so many restrictions. To be creative in how we reach out to those in our community, reach out to those who need to hear that they are loved by God and that he has not forgotten them. Amen.